All right, everyone, welcome back to episode 3.3 of FR Lock. Actually, is it five now? Five, I, think, right? I think we're on five now. This is episode five. Or three, five three whatever. Straight, 3.3. Five. Yeah, episode five. Um, five episodes in, I still have not worn pants at a single podcast. Um, Steven's still wearing khakis. Consistently wearing khakis. So that's kind of lame. Definitely. Let's take a minute to uh, thank our sponsors and our patrons. All right, now we're done with that. Moving cool. on to the importance. <laughs> so, a quick touch on that subject. I've li- ever since starting this, I've started listening to like other podcasts just to get like you know an idea of like what people do and all that. Is it not the most irritating thing when there is like five minutes of like advertisements and intros and theme songs and introductions and all this stuff? It literally drives me nuts. It makes me not want to listen to those podcasts at all. So I want to keep I've it, heard it simple and not have that bullshit on here. Yeah. And I've heard from a few people. They're like, like, it's very, you know, they're, you can tell you guys don't have like a, like a written out, you know, agenda. I'm like, that's because the goal of it was to be two guys bullshitting the whole time. And like, you guys were in you know you could listen to our shenanigans and our bullshit that we uh, uh exactly. come up with and talk about and stuff like that not trying to yeah. be like super scripted but like yeah, i like listening to, that we want to touch on but that's kind of it yeah you exactly have, like, a, like, and i like or yeah so good yeah <laughs> and i don't want to listen to like like rogan sometimes has like nine minutes oh of fucking my god yeah I listened to his Edward Snowden Honor. one. That's the first time I've ever listened to it. And it was a great okay. podcast. And then I started listening to some other ones. Um, and Jesus Christ, I'm like hitting like the skip, like 30 seconds. I'm hitting it for like a minute straight. Just like, what the hell? Is this all advertisements? I haven't listened to any right. of them, but it's just so irritating. Just there, go straight to the damn. There, right. like we don't make, this isn't our job though. So I guess we don't have to worry about advertisements. <coughs> yeah. So anyway, rolling in to uh this start off that with a little bit of a rant i'm sure people are gonna love that they're gonna be like that was basically an advertisement but uh (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so where where did you go this weekend what did you so would you break uh well yeah we'll get into all that stuff so we'll (laughs) start with where or kind of how this weekend starts so initially this weekend i was supposed to actually go to hammers out to johnson valley and run uh turkey claw run chocolate thunder maybe attempt some other trails like maybe Sunbonnet's pass whatever and slowly but surely everyone started trickling away kyle was cutting up his shit andy ended up getting his vacation time pulled because he uh, the department was short-staffed so he couldn't pull his extra vacation uh, matt just has been kind of bailing a little bit and has other shit going on and i wasn't super committed at that point when it was just us two and i thought he was gonna bail so there's, and then a bunch of other people, uh, Caleb and Tanner, they ended up going on this trip to Ocotillo. And I was like, what the fuck, guys? Everyone's bailing again. So I just went to Ocotillo with those guys. Uh, Ocotillo, Anza Borrego, you know, the whole Overland thing. Anza is the Overland side of things. You know, you get all your cool trucks and stuff with rooftop tents and, you know, expensive lights and all that fun stuff. Well, that's kind of right where you fit in, though, right? That was your oh, main... yeah. 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 Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. You don't even you need to drive out there. So, I mean, nope. that's the best part about it. So, you can drive whatever you want. It's not about exactly. what you drive. 
It's about how much money in accessories you put on it. Exactly. And likes. likes. We really hit all the hard topics on this show in the last couple episodes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. So we get out there. I get it. They got out there. A lot of those guys got out there Thursday sometime. And then I got out there Friday night about like eight o'clock. And so we get there, set up camp, just drank Friday night, like always. And then Saturday we did a trip basically through Fish Creek all the way up to uh, Ocotillo Wells, went kind of the back way through the washes because we had a few solid axle guys with us. So them going through mm-hmm. like the whoop areas is just miserable. And I don't even like going through the whoop areas because my truck can't go fast enough through all the, like the gnarly ass whoops. So it just gets boring right. to tell. Um, so we took the washes all the way through and the canyons and all that. We had a good time, went to Blow Sand Hill um, and then went and got gas and then cruised to Fonts Point, which is this really cool overlook that overlooks the whole area of like the Anza Valley. You, know, you see San Felipe Wash, all these super crazy badlands down there. If you haven't been there and you're in the area, I highly suggest going and checking it out. Nothing super hard. Any Literally any vehicle can get there for the most part. Um, it's just like a little bit of a light sandy wash. And then you just kind of like a, a not a, not paved road, but a smooth road getting up to it. And uh, it's right. really cool because you're way up above everything. And you have these gnarly badlands underneath you and really cool stuff. Um, I actually didn't even end up going out to the lookout because I noticed when we were driving up, I noticed my hood was shaking quite a bit. What the hell? Why is my hood shaking so much? So I did, I eliminated the hood latch when I did the engine cage because right. a while back the hood latch broke and it was kind of sketchy because my hood was jiggling all over the place. And then Jason, uh, opt off road, he actually had on his way to Death Valley had his hood latch break and his hood fly up mm. in his windshield. So that scared me since I already had one break and his you know could have been catastrophic. I decided. I'm not doing a hood latch. I'm doing hood pins, race car stuff, you know? So that way I can add a few right. more points on horsepower and likes. Um, <laughs> uh, so Which I get out there. That makes a difference. I, exactly. You know, so I get out and I know I shake my hood to figure out what's going on. And I pop my hood Well, my hood pins. So they're just, you know, two bolts, top and bottom on the pins. They're threaded so you can adjust the height. And I had them, I made right. some tabs using, it wasn't quite eighth inch thick material, but it was maybe like 14 gauge or something. Uh, so I made these okay. tabs. I was going to use just regular trick tabs that I had, but I needed to make them a certain length distance away from the tube. So I made my own. And these tabs ended up cracking around where the bolts were. I didn't use any fender washers or anything like that. I should have used thicker material and some washers. So lesson learned. So what I did is I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, yeah, they, they broke. If I just maybe weld around the bolt, it'll help distribute the load a little bit more like a washer would, and maybe that'll hold a little bit better. So I bust out the little welding kit that me and Matt made. Uh, it's just using like four gauge battery cable, some battery clamps, uh, a ground clamp, and a lead clamp. So you can use a welding rod. You just use two or three batteries, depending on how much power you actually need and what rod size you're doing and all that. Um, so we bust out the batteries, hook that all up, and I welded it, no problem. And then sure enough, that next morning, after we got done wheeling and getting back to camp, the next morning I go, check it out. It's broken again. So I just used a ratchet strap and strapped it down to the bumper. And it worked. It got me home. No problem. I started going. First, I used a bungee cord. And if we started going on the highway, 
going to uh, a different area of the slots, the slot canyon. Right. And uh, we're going like 50 miles an hour. I noticed my hood is now like catching wind and pulling up a little bit. I'm like, oh shit, this is sketch. <laughs> so I got the ratchet strap. We pulled over off to the side of the highway and I ratchet strapped it down. So that was cool. Smart. So we, it's, it's the TRD racing stripe ratchet strap. It went from the top of my hood down the center, mm -hmm. down to the bumper. So it was race car stuff. TRD Pro. That's sick. That's even cooler than the hood pins. Fuck yeah, dude. Winning. Fuck yeah. I didn't get a picture so of it. So what are you going to do differently uh, next time, Stephen? So I'm going to make my tabs out of eighth-inch plate this time around, and I'm going to use washers. So that should mm -hmm. be plenty. I'm going to actually have Kyle make them this weekend because he's coming over because we're doing his floor link on his truck this weekend. Uh, we'll yep. touch on that in a little bit. But uh, since he has been making pretty much all my tabs, besides the one I've bought, the ones I've bought, I'm going to have him make some more. Win-win. That way I don't sense. have to do it because I don't like Especially since he's coming over to your house. Exactly. Using all your stuff. Yeah. Fucking mooching off you. Oh, no. He, he works his ass off. I put his ass to work. <laughs> <laughs> and he comes over the to my house. He doesn't have a house in California. <laughs> yeah, right? So he was actually... So to touch a little bit on that subject, you know, this week in our plans. So he is his second gen Tacoma and uh, he had, we're doing four link. So he's basically, I was kind of the guinea pig for him. You know, I've, I've kind of learned through my mistakes and, you know, what I've learned through the four link build. And uh, we're now we're putting all that stuff onto his. So he went to our buddy Juan's house out in um, the uh, San Fernando Valley area. And, um, they notched the frame so they basically cut the frame out where like the above the axle and they moved everything in i think like you know six eight inches that way he has room for coilovers and shocks and stuff and then he went last time he was at my house we drew it all out took all the measurements figured out exactly what we're going to do and then he busted out his his card and just bought all kinds of stuff but all of his uh joints all of his brackets uh, his shocks, his um, fuel cell, all that stuff. So he had a good, good chunk of change that he dropped right there. So he's been working on that. They did all the frame plating because you know the Tacomas have the it's just C channel rather than box. So they did all right. the frame plating over there because he has uh, Juan has a plasma cutter, which Kyle is hopefully going to bring that this weekend. Juan already said he could, so that way if we need to do any right. any of that stuff, so. The plan for him when he gets to my house, he's going to put on a trailer, bring it over. He still has his Leafs installed, um, and he has his bed off. I think he's just going to strap his bed onto the, the rails and all that. So the plan when he gets to my house is we're going to do the bed cage and then locate the shocks, get all the uh, four-link brackets welded on, located, make links, um, make the cross members, and... I think that's about it. It should be somewhat simple. Uh, just make cross members. Well, I think he. I think we have all the brackets, so we don't have to make any brackets or tabs. So hopefully, right. it should be fairly easy. So most of the hard work is going to be the bed cage, which isn't going to be terribly hard. It's just more time consuming because it's going to be tubes. So should be a lot right. of fun. Bet. Getting all that right. Exactly. So and we have to make sure we have it because I think he just bought coilovers for now. I don't think he bought bypasses yet. I think he's doing 2.5 right. by 16 inch coilovers. So we have to make sure so we is he make doing... it have. Go ahead. Go ahead. 
Is, is he so, doing long trailing arms or is he doing? <clears throat> no, uh, he's like short course style, like like how I have it. Okay, uh, he, we're mounting straight okay. off the axle. We thought about that, and the way that we were going to put it, so he has the short bed. So, <clears throat> yep. With the short bed, it's really hard to do trailing arms. You'd have to mount the. We thought about doing like the um, <clears throat> busted knuckle off road. I think that's the company that does it. I know that's the videos that they make. Um, Right. They have their own trailing arm kit. You can make custom make it, and it keeps the uh, it has anti wobble on it with these big fat joints, and you can mount okay. the the coilovers and stuff above the the link center lines. That way, you know you don't have these big canoe links hanging down uh, in the way. Right. But we thought about that, and we weren't going to be able to get things like you know the way we wanted, and it was just even more money and more work. So okay. we figured. Let's just do it the old school way, the short course style, straight off the axle, and uh, we'll do you know the dual triangulated four link. Get his uh, his all his uh, geometry measurements dialed in, you know the right roll axis. We should have very little um, drive shaft plunge. Hopefully, we have based on the numbers we're looking at, we shouldn't have any real issues with the pinion angle change throughout cycle using you know sixteen inch coilovers. Probably going to get about eighteen inches of travel, something like that. He's not trying to go be a go fast desert racer. He wants something right. kind of like what I want to do. I probably want to go a little bit faster than he does, but he wants something that he can still go fast in the desert comfortably and still and rock crawl comfortably. So the plan is to kind of have what I like to call a consumer level ultra four vehicle. You know, that makes so sense. That's not a buggy, but you can do a little bit of both. Right. sport. That makes, I like that. So yeah. does he, because when you, if you did a trailing arm setup, because that changes spring rates and shock valving and everything. Yeah, like, totally. A huge amount because, you know, it's almost like a, like setting up an the IFS ratio. style. Yeah, yeah because, the motion ratio yeah, exactly. is going to be totally is, different, which is actually makes it better because you have a slower shaft speed on your shocks. So it actually makes it easier okay. to tune. Uh, rather than on the axle, when you start getting into big travel numbers, that's kind of why we went with uh, 16 inch coilovers rather than 18 inch coilovers. Because once you start getting into high high shaft speeds, uh, it's harder to tune, which you can still get around that. But the biggest thing is spring rates. How do you keep a low ride height and still have spring rates that are have enough rebound and all that fun stuff? You know, right? And you, at that point, you start getting into like triple spring rates, which is you just end up using the, the third spring as a tender spring and it's it's not ideal. So I thought about doing I'm still considering it, uh doing eighteen inch coilovers on mine. That way my goal is to have about twenty inches of travel in the rear. And then my goal in right. front eventually is gonna have be about fifteen inches. If I get more, great, but I'm not necessarily looking for any more than fifteen inches. I think that'll be more Makes than sense. enough for what I'm trying to do. Um right. but with it being center mount, it'll actually have the potential to have more. I don't know. We're trying to keep it as near yeah. as possible. So we'll see. Makes sense. Yeah. So that's so, a perfect lead in right there to uh, your. Yeah. I, I, I just want to talk so, more about the trip. Kyle's project. Oh, or Kyle's project. Well, I didn't really talk too much about the trip. Um, yeah. Talk more about the talk trip. A little, little bit more about the trip. Um, so we. So another thing too, I got to bust out the welder for the first time, my own welder. Um, was Jason's hood hinge cracked down the middle. So the first morning that I was there, we busted that out and 
bought that up. So that's kind of cool. And then what else was there? Oh, then we did Sandstone Canyon. Uh, I don't know if anyone's, I don't know if you've heard of it. I'm sure anyone that knows the no. Borrego area knows it pretty well. It's a really cool canyon. It's, you know, a sandstone canyon. The canyon walls are pretty damn tall. I don't know, maybe 100 feet or so. Uh, maybe higher in some nice. spots. I don't know. I didn't test out a measuring tape. But <laughs> it's really cool. Some spots are super narrow where, like, your vehicle is, like, just wide enough to fit through it. So that was pretty cool. And then once you get to a certain point, it starts getting to some obstacles where it's actual rock crawling. So you see a lot of people going through there. Um, if you like Google it or go on Instagram, probably hashtag Sandstone Canyon. A lot of cool stuff and a lot of cool pictures. You know, it's a great picture area. So everyone always goes in there and takes pictures. So it's kind of an overlander area. But once you get to a certain point, it starts getting difficult. So if you're not uh, dual locked on 35s, you can still get through. It's just you're going to have a little bit more struggle. So the we went through it. Uh, we called it the booze cruise which we always do once you get to a certain point at the campfire one says night run night run okay night run and the booze cruise because you go out and you know right. do your thing so there was probably six of us that went on the run and once we got to a certain point we tried to get the other guys to go through it and they're on 33s just a rear locker and they just weren't weren't able to get through it easily we would have to either winch or tow them through and they weren't having it. So, and I was okay with that because it's, if you have to constantly winch through obstacles, then you don't really belong yeah, on the trail, that. in my opinion. Yeah. I can see exactly. like if you have to winch off of an obstacle because you took a bad line or, you know, this one obstacle got you because you can't make this one, but you can make all the others. That's okay. But if you have to winch through every obstacle, get off the trail. So, yeah, exactly. You know, th- these guys were smart and they understood that that's not, you know, where they should be at this point. So, they backed through it. It was kind of a funny little spot to back through because it was really narrow and it curved a little bit. So they had to back through it and they're like riding up on the wall, backing through and they had to get, so I went through it first. Then the two guys behind me had to back out and then they had to make room. So everyone had to back out and then get around and then come back through the other two guys that were behind them. So it's five of us and it got down to three of us. So it was me, Tanner, which has a forerunner just like mine, a third gen, 35s, front rear lock. And then his buddy Austin that has a first-gen Toyota pickup on 37s, front and rear locked, solid axle. So he was able to do all this stuff, no problem. And then, yeah, we went through it, and we had a good time. We kind of got to where the end is. It's not the end of the canyon, but end of where you can really drive because it gets super narrow. The rocks start getting bigger, uh, more frequent. And if you get stuck, there's literally, I walked up maybe a few hundred yards, and it just gets narrower and narrower, so you can't turn around if you get stuck and you can't back through it so we decided to turn around after a little bit and that was that we had a lot of fun so on the way back we get out of sandstone canyon we're hauling ass through the washes through fish creek and back to camp and austin in the first gen uh pickup he's driving and he underestimates the size of this rock that he's going over his front axle clips the rock and it rolls up and which makes it even taller and it's a rear yeah. axle housing hits it and it just dents the fuck out of his axle housing like a fifth size dent like into his axle housing Jesus. i think it toyota got, housing think, yeah a toyota is an ifs with axle housing a rear axle okay. housing the front he hit on the diff armor which flipped the okay. rack up and then it hit right next to the diff and i think what stopped the dent from getting any further was the actual actual axle shaft itself is what stopped i believe it, it. So it was it was pretty nice. So I was I got I was leading 
and you know it's dusty so everyone hangs back a little bit so usually anytime there's a fork i stop make sure the group catches up and then we go again so i get to the fork, the, the next fork and i'm waiting waiting i get on the radio I'm like hey guys what's going on and they're like um dented the axle what yeah his axle housing is like bent or something like should i come back they're like yeah it's worth coming checking out so i get back there and i look holy shit you hit that shit hard <laughs> <laughs> so we thought at that point you know it's just the axle housing nothing else looks that bad uh so the next morning when we're all getting ready or we all leave he notices it's leaking a little bit so he puts some rtv on it tries to get it to stop to seal a little bit better so it's not leaking and then i guess they That's got standard. about 30 miles down the highway and the axle shaft itself broke and he was driving hmm. and his because of all the it's um semi-float obviously because yep. it's semi-float now it's putting all this angle on the bearings and next thing you know his rear axle has all kinds of camber <laughs> so Fucking he had sick. to call get a call a tow truck and tow his ass home kind of a bummer so i guess to get a new axle housing like and the shaft crack the shaft or something fractured the shaft right there yeah, you said it was pretty thinking. close to the diff so it was like pretty close to the end of the spline too yeah, it's got a whole yeah, lot of flex pretty right there too. Exactly. So if it's it can't, yeah, I can't really flex. It's gonna have to crack. Yeah. So yeah, that was kind of impressive. So that was cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, we had a lot of fun. Okay. It was just a, a kind of a good relaxing weekend. The kids had a lot of fun playing with all the other kids. There was uh, what, my two kids, Jason's two kids, and one of the other guys has his had his son there. So there's kids from my son was two. And the other guy's son was six, and there was every year in between. So, about five kids. It was really nice. Kept them preoccupied. Nice. <clears throat> and there's, a, I think there's another. Yeah, man. I don't know. I feel like I haven't done that much wheeling lately. I mean, I went out. We went out to. Also, we don't get to talk about trips right after we went. So this is one thing that we can tell everyone: we're gonna try to do at least one episode a month, which is the two of us, um, mm. because we're selfish and we want people to know what we're doing. Yeah, um, we're the coolest ones like out there. Exactly. If you don't like us, and we're really doing this for right? us. We're not <laughs> doing this for anyone else. So, for like, no, but we are <laughs> we are doing uh, at least once a month. You can get an update on us, what we've been doing, um, wheeling wise or fab wise, and then what we have planned, wheeling wise or fab wise. I think the only trip that I did, we went out because we have a local ORV park. It's like an hour away, 45 minutes away called Tahuya. And it's like, it's one of those places that it's like, there's, there's a couple, there's a few different trails out there, but most of it's all like dug into the ground, like dirt and stuff like wow. that. And then there's uh, like some log jams and some, you know, smaller rock gardens and some bigger rock gardens and everything like that. <coughs> but it's really you know, besides some of the bigger gardens, it's really passable by, you know, pretty much any option out there is even passable by like 33s and rear locker, um, which isn't like, so it's not that hard, but there's some other part, stuff. Most people can make it through any of the lines. Yeah. If you just pick an easy line, you can make it through. Right. Yeah. And there's pretty much bypasses for everything, but. Uh, so the hard lines, what do the hard lines look like out there? Is it actually something pretty difficult there, where you can have a lot of fun or is it all pretty easy? There is, if I, I pretty much take 
All right, not pretty much. I take every option line on every trail that's out there when I go out mm. there. And uh, I don't know if I've ever had to winch off of an option, even from taking a stupid line. But there is some that you get into and I'll have to lock the front. So it's kind of like sometimes it's like it kind of depends. Yeah. yeah, it makes it fun. So it's a challenge. But yeah. It's not hard where you can't actually where you're. Right. struggling or not to the point where you have to get out and winch or get a tag. Right. There is one, it's called West Loop out there, which is the harder of the two trail or the few trails that are out there. Cause that's where that one big ass steep rock garden is that I posted that I couldn't make it up because for various reasons, which I'll talk about in a minute. Uh, but the gatekeeper on that one, like, when I first saw the gatekeeper, I was like, wow, I'm going to have to come back with some, because by myself, I was like, I'm going to have to come back with some buddies to run that trail because the gatekeeper looked so gnarly. Mm -hmm. And uh, there is not, like everyone said, you can't get over the gatekeeper on anything smaller than 40s without winching. Um, but anything inside the trail was whatever. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, whatever. So like the first time I went in, I like framed out, had to winch over. So did the guys that I was with. And I was like looking at it and I was like, there has to be a way to go over that without having to uh, winch yeah. over it. And then I like looked at it for like 30 more seconds um, because a guy told me he tried it for like an hour and couldn't get over it, which line he tried. And I was like, okay. And I just stressed it. And then I like looked at it. And I was like, you can get over it this way. Last time I went out there, everyone drove right in. Uh, even guys on FJs and 35s drove right in. Through the gatekeeper? The gate. Yeah. Uh, so, but the gatekeeper does not ref like the the hardest obstacle that's there is on that trail. But you have to go take go off the trail to get to it. Um, and the whole trail itself isn't that hard. But that's where that big it's called Sasquatch Bluff. That big ass fucking rock garden's at. Uh, okay. Which I've like gone a rock hills. It's like the one that you said that you yeah. went up one side and not the other. Gotcha. Yeah, I've gone up the one side of it. And then I was going up the left side of it and I've seen like several JKs on 37s and 40s not make it past the spot I was at. Mm -hmm. Mainly because of width, it seems like. Um, a narrower truck in that certain spot is definitely better because it keeps you, there's like a small V-notch. But if you fall on that V-notch, you're going to hang up on like, it's like small width wise, but it's super deep. So you like hang up on like gas tank and rear axle and shit. And I just kept falling in there and I didn't have time to back all the way down and move over like two feet and then try it again so I could stay out of that. Um, so I just kind of backed off of it. And uh, But no, I've been going. The other thing is I've been uh, like six months now on 37s and uh same steering rack, same CV axles, same rear diff. So that's going pretty good. Um, nice. Yeah, I've had some pretty good luck lately too. Keeping things in one piece for the most part. Yeah. We're going up to, I'm going up to Walker Valley, which is another spot. It's like two and a half hours from my house uh, mm. in November, like the 17th or whatever it is. And that will be... Uh, that's one of the harder places in Washington that we have, but I'm a, it's also going to be probably wet. So it's going to be like muddy and rock garden. So it's going to be 
extra fun. So we'll see if everything makes it through that trip and then through the snow season, then I'll be pretty happy. So that's always nice. Yeah. Mine, my yeah. seasons vary on what I break because I do like during the summer, I probably spend more time rock crawling during the summer just because go up to like the big, up to big bear or go out to, right. you know, doozy or whatever I'm doing or uh, higher elevation stuff. Yeah, or I'll go out to, not necessarily during the summer, but like spring, we'll go out to like Hammers area or Ridgecrest. That's what we did this year all, during the spring. So during that time, I'm breaking different parts, mostly like CV axles and stuff like that. Uh, but right. during the winter, I'm more into the desert going fast and just beating the shit out of my truck. So, you know, that's when I start breaking suspension components and that kind of stuff. Steering rack. Uh, I seem to break that cracking more likely. Yeah, cracking inner fenders. I seem to break Which that stuff more, or the, the uh, steering rack. I seem to break that more going fast than I am drop crawling, which is kind of not something I thought about until recently. It's more of when I'm powering through stuff and cornering really hard, you know, back and forth. So I think what I'm, because I'm always blowing out the seals, not necessarily breaking anything. So I think is what I'm doing right. is I'm over pressurizing the seals or something. I don't really know, but. Uh, it could be overpressure from steering in, like when you're steering into the sand. It could be that mm-hmm. like side load or like yeah, from the just tie rod when it's, you know, when you're steering into stuff hard like that. I've wondered that when I'm like in the dunes or something turning hard and like mm-hmm. with that much bite, it, like you could break a tie rod, right? Fold the tie rod up right there because that's so much actual pressure on that tie rod. Yeah. Yeah, and right. ours is it, at that point it's compression too, so right, not, like you know, not tension like your guys's. But yeah, I got when we go exactly. out to like Agatia, we'll be going through stuff, and we'll have like the guys at Solid Axle Trucks with the you know the regular steer, power steering box, the, the Saginaw box. Uh, those guys yep. they overheat their power steering all the time, so they'll like burn out their seals or they'll just lose power steering. We we'll have to like sit there and let it cool down. So uh a lot of our jeep guys that we that we wheel with they have issues with their power steering overheating i keep telling them to get power steering coolers but whatever they don't listen to their jeep guys right <laughs> so right. uh but with mine i've never had issues with it my power steering overheating it's usually i check it out you know when they're overheating and it seems pretty good but then you know maybe once a year i have my seals blow out so maybe it's time to get a power steering cooler you just rebuild your steering rack no, I just warranty that motherfucker. <laughs> Fuck yeah. I like that. Yeah. One thing that I've been thinking about, because running 37s on, or even actually did it more on 35s, and now on 37s, I've never, I've only done it once, uh, where I will actually blow the top off of my power steering reservoir. Um, I don't know if it's like a pressure, if it can't bleed itself, like bleed air out of it. Or what the deal is. Like the actual cap? Never, like the actual threaded cap or the piece that the threaded cap goes into? Like the actual threaded cap. Well, because ours aren't threaded. It's it like it pushes in. It's like a half turn uh, huh. into the top of the reservoir. And it will blow, it'll blow the cap out and a little bit of power steering fluid onto my hood, the bottom of my hood. Um, and it's so close to the hood, it can't make it all the way out because of the dipstick that's on it. So it'll like shoot into the top of the hood, then fall back down and I'll open my hood and I'll notice it and then I'll pop it back on. And you can see a little bit of power steering fluid on the hood. It doesn't lose any fluid. doesn't really push any out. I imagine if I was like way off camera or something, it would start to lose some. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. That's and 
both times it was like on obstacles where you're like trying to turn and you probably shouldn't be turning. You should probably try to like reposition and take some load off of it. Uh, I'm assuming is when it happened. And it happened twice or three times when I was on 35s and once when I was on, it happened once in the snow. So that could have been just getting hot. I might just get a new power steering reservoir because it could just be faulty related, faulty to that or something. Well, I don't know. I wonder if anyone else has had any, if anyone's listening, they've had that op, that issue message Trevor. I don't yeah, know. Message it's, me. I wonder if that's, but the, I wonder if that's an actual thing or if it's just a one time yeah, issue. Isolated. Into um, but I do have a, I run my transmission into the radiator in the factory transmission cooler spot that mm-hmm. we have. And then, out of the radiator into a actual aftermarket trans cooler and then back to the trans. And I've been debating uh, taking it out of the radiator and just running the transmission through my aftermarket cooler and then using that portion of the radiator portion for power steering. But I was also told, and I don't know if this is true, so this is something for you to think about, that that section of the radiator they say because the transmission has a factory running temperature um, mm. that the radiator actually helps because the radiator gets warm and with heat transfer in the radiator keeps consistent um, temperature keeps it consistent. So it will help keep that cold weather uh, and all that. Yeah, because my transmission factory with the factory cooler, it would stay even in the wintertime. It'd be like 160, 180 all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the yeah, cooler that's... in the wintertime, it's like 135, uh, which is wow. on the cold, like operating temperature is like 126 minimum or whatever they say it is, uh, or the minimum threshold is like 126. Uh, so I think the radiator in the wintertime helps uh, keep it at the right uh, temperature, keep it increase the temperature. At, yeah, exactly. Keeps it from getting too cold, at least, um, which yeah, can also be an issue. For really trans, about. Obviously. So yeah. I think about that. And then another guy that I know, he runs what he, I can't remember. It's like a bypass valve, essentially. So you run one line it's in it's warm enough. And then on the, and then it'll get warm enough. And I'm like, I don't want to have a chance of all of that failing. Um, it's like circulate because it's closed. And it, exactly. Yeah. And but he lives in a lot colder climate than I do. Like he's probably he lives in like over in Connecticut or something like that. So in the wintertime, he sees a lot lower temperatures where I guess yeah, it more yeah. makes sense because with the cooler, he might not even it might not even warm up with the cooler to the right temperature. And I think cold fluid is not as bad, but can be just as bad as, you know, yeah. too hot a fluid too much pressure. But too much. Uh, right. Yeah. Makes something. sense. Yeah, I don't know how I, I did mine. I just connected the hoses on mine. I don't know if I did mine before or after the radiator, but I just, whatever was more convenient, I just disconnected the hoses and plugged them in. Yeah, the only reason I went through the radiator still is because it has a factory hard line that will, it's like a soft line up to the, from the, I don't know, like a foot soft line from next to the engine up to the core support. And then from a mm. core support across to the radiator, it's a hard line. And then it's like another like foot of soft line that runs right into the radiator. So I kept all of that and then just came out, went through the core support in front. I had the 
mounted on the front of the condenser, obviously, and then just ran it back in next to that other hard line. So it worked out easiest to do it that way. But yeah, I have no idea. Mine, uh, I have both still. I have the radiator cooler, internal cooler, and the right. external. But I just don't know which which direction I'm running it. I haven't had any problems. I only thing I've noticed though is I'm not getting my trans temp hot anymore. So that's cool. So I yeah. used to get every time I was out in the washes, like really getting on it hard, shifting a lot. I would get the the trans yep. temp light would come on. So ever since I did the cooler, I haven't had that issue, and I've ran it a lot harder because I haven't had that issue come up. So I'm like, okay, I can actually keep going. I can keep going, and it still hasn't came up. So it's working. I got the biggest one that I can fit, or that they actually sell. Makes sense. <clears throat> so I put that in there. But I think I I should probably do a power steering cooler too, even if it's small. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, a small one. Any the and the, one of the big things with power steering that i know from uh the drifting uh side of everything is a lot of guys run power steering coolers and drifting because they're going you know lock to lock and a lot of bind on steering when they're you know uh, drifting yeah exactly and the other so what they do they add a power steering cooler but what seems to be more common and helps more is they add more uh reserves so they're talking they're they're running like Another you know liter a two quart, or whatever. A two quart tank uh yeah. power steering tank and then you don't even a lot of guys do that and they don't even need to run a cooler because there's so much more fluid there you can't it flows so fast through the rack you're not going to get that fluid as hot um hmm. but i'm like where yeah. am i going to put another tank with all the other shit that i have going on so right but that's an option yeah. too. I mean, even if, like you're saying, you did like another, if you did a quart, a quart tank wouldn't be that big. You could fit that somewhere in the engine bay. Well, I wonder how much by the time you run uh, lines and a cooler. I know it's not going to be nearly a quart, but that's an that's an additional amount of fluid in there. Plus, you have a cooler, so right. I wonder what makes more sense to run more fluid With a, or just a cooler or run a cooler. The thing I like about running a cooler is regardless of how much fluid you have even having a you know even if you have like a six inch by six inch cooler a, a higher quality cooler anytime you're slowing that fluid down distributing it like through a cooler um and uh, it's getting some sort of air draw because even being on the front of the condenser it's still getting air from the radiator fan may not be full yep. but it's getting some but still get it. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think that in the long run is going to be good. I mean, obviously you could add some capacity too, but I would, I think I would more venture to go cooler versus, you know, Same. reservoir. And the other reason is like, if you blow a power steering line on the trail or something, you can, you know, if you have a quart of transfer, you can fix it. If you need like two quarts, three quarts for the system to run, that could be annoying too. Agreed. Yeah. That's something to think about too is, repairs it's easy to fix a line or cap a line yeah <clears throat> you know do whatever huh. good to think about Fuck yeah cool so tell well, us any other dark anything else oh good yeah i just want you to tell me about your front end and yeah take so that anyway. a couple people asking me to discuss what i've been working on on my front ifs one ton ifs plans that i'm i've been working on uh, a lot of people messaging me saying talk about it on the podcast so I guess we'll talk about it. Um, so over the last like, year, I've been kind of thinking about this. Like I want to be able to have IFS. I don't have to worry about everything breaking constantly. Kind of put that 
thing of, you know, that bias, solid axle is always stronger. Well, IFS can be strong. There's no doubt about that. It's just how much time and money and effort are you willing to put into it? So I've been kind of delving into this, how can I make IFS stronger without spending $50,000 on a raced front end, you know, like the Ultra 4 guys have. So I've been thinking about this and figuring out, okay, what are guys using solid axle wise? You know, what are one ton differentials in this? So I started thinking about, okay, well, what can I do to do this? Be able to fit big tires, do high horsepower and rock crawl without my shit exploding. So at first I started, okay, what do I need for a one ton differential? So I looked into, for the most part, I was looking into the Chevy or the GM um, IFS, the nine and a quarter AAM IFS front differential that comes on the, uh, like the Duramax, the HD trucks, the Chevy GM HD trucks. And so I really started. What? Do they run that in pretty much all the years or is there a certain year for that? Um, They, they still use it. They changed it up to what's called the Salisbury uh, differential. So it's a little bit different, still the same idea, but it's a little bit different. So I think they've been using that one since like 99 till 2011 or something like that. They use the same differential. So parts on all yeah, exactly. For parts. the most part, it's almost the exact same thing. So parts availability is out. You know, there's a ton of parts availability. Uh-huh. They have, they have, uh, you know, ARB lockers. They have five, 538 up to 538 gear ratios so it kind of fit in line with what i wanted i wanted something between 513 and 538 gear ratios is my goal because i don't have a lot of horsepower if i had you know an ls motor or even you know any any higher horsepower motor i might consider you know maybe 410s or something like that but uh, until then i need something that has a decent gear ratio for going faster keeping highway speeds and stuff with my goal is to be able to run 39 inch tires. So I need to be able to have something that can accommodate that. Um, so I got more involved or into the the uh, AAM nine and a quarter differential. And I finally found a CAD file. Someone sent me a CAD file for it. So I got all these measurements from it. So I didn't want to buy one if it's not going to work out. Now I knew where I was going to have right. to sh- shorten the ADD tube because obviously on a full size truck, they're going to be super wide differentials. <laughs> where I needed it to be super narrow. So I took all these measurements and I get out underneath my truck and I'm like, this is, there's no way this is going to work. Even if I completely shorten or eliminate the, the ADD shaft, it's still going to just, it's huge because it's a clamshell design. You have these outer bolt rings that take up a lot of room you know, height wise. So that sucks. And it's a high pinion, which is good for front differentials. High pinion is always stronger but that just gets way in the way. And that means I have to tuck the pinion down lower, which then, you know, makes the bottom of the diff sit way lower. Like, all right, I need to figure out something that's low pinion. So what options are there? Low pinion. And then I was turned towards to look towards the, um, the, what is it? The Ford independent rear suspension, low pinion. I think it's 9.75 inch, the nine, nine three quarter inch. Ford. It comes in the like, expeditions, the rear of the expeditions. Okay, so looking okay. more into that, I figure, okay, it's centered, so maybe I'll have to. I'll, I'm gonna have to do a center mount with this setup. So I started looking more into that, and it just it doesn't seem strong enough for what I really want to do. Um, so I was looking more into the Ford nine inch, the actual Ford nine inch that everyone knows. But you know, look at you know the Curry differential, and that shit's 
retarded expensive. That's, you know, race expense. You know, you're going to be spending just on the housing alone, housing and stub shafts alone, you're going to be spending like 2,500 bucks. I can't afford $2,500. You know, just that doesn't include the differential. That's just the housing and stub shafts. You still have to get CV axles <laughs> made and you still have to have a differential. And you, you know, need an stuff. ARP. So, yeah, there's another thousand dollars just in an ARB locker, then another thousand dollars in a third member or close to a thousand dollars by the time you get the big bearing third member. All that stuff. Yeah, the same with your bearings and every all your shits in it. Yeah. <clears throat> exactly. So um, at this point, I'm you know figuring out what options I have. I'm talking to a lot of people, and my buddy Caleb comes along, and he's interested in this same same idea. So now, over the last few weeks, we've been collaborating on you know how we're going to probably put this together, and uh, we're probably well we are going to build our own housing, and. We're not sure what we're going to do for the CV stub shafts yet, whether we're going to have, I call RCV and have a make stub shafts or buy stub shafts that are already made for this application and just make them fit our application. So there's that. We're not sure there, but the plan is to have a Ford nine inch IFS housing. Uh, It's going to be about 14 inches, 14 and a half inches, roughly um, flange to flange using 934 CV. CVs, uh, inner CVs. And then at this point, what I'm thinking is do custom spindles with O5 uh, plus Super Duty unit bearings. So Dana 60, you know, that comes on the the, the one that's basically the super, the super Duty axles that everyone wants, the O5 plus ones. Those are the ones that yep. you, you know, everyone wants right now. Um, they're, they're super beefy. The unit bearings are super you know, small compared to, well, not small, but they don't have, they're not super deep. So it's a yeah, small package depth, depth yeah. wise, not necessarily size and bearing wise. I think it's even got bigger bearings than like the 04, 99 to 04 ones. But um, so using those, I already bought some uh, cups that bolt the unit bearings to. So I'm going to base a custom spindle around that. So if anyone's seen like my Instagram posts, like my stories, I've been taking like little pictures and videos as I go along of this, you know, mock up. So the goal is to have basically one ton uh, differential, you know, drivetrain components. So four nine inch center section that can fit up to a 10 inch ring gear. Um, we're going to be having super duty hubs, which is definitely one ton uh, size and uh, Dana 60 outer joint made by C- uh, RCV. So that's going to be a CV joint rather than a U joint. Um, Obviously, RCV will be making the axle shafts themselves out of whatever material they're going to use. Hopefully, those are going to be strong enough to hold up to horsepower and big tires. Um, what yeah, else? I'm sure they will. Yeah, yeah. There's everything's going to eventually wear out and break at some point. And I don't know if you said it or not. Um, I just know because I've been paying attention and talked to you a little bit about it. You are center mounting this. Correct. It's all center mounted. So stock on like the first gen uh first gen Tacomas and third gen forerunners if you look at where the uh, inner cv from one side you know passenger side to the driver's side the pivot of the inner cvs are it's something like 18 inches no i might be wrong i think it's more than that i think that's the differential itself it's like 20 something inches from yeah that CV would make to CV. Sense. so how wide it is i don't remember the number itself but the new the way we're going to be doing it is going to be closer to like 16 inches where the pivot to pivot is somewhere close to that area i don't i don't know the exact number but you're basically taking it and you're cutting 
I don't know, eight inches narrower on the yeah. CD, you know, the, the axle width. So even if we didn't go any wider on the wheel mounting surface, the actual width of the vehicle, we're still going to have, you know, three inches more per axle side, roughly. I don't know the number exactly, but it's basically having long travel suspension, but without having long travel width. But we are going to go think- longer on the width as well to fit bigger tires. So that way we're not rubbing our tires on the frame and, you know, it, it pushes right. things away from the body a little bit. Um, so that's, you know, that's a so misconception it, that a lot of people have is that your biggest limiting factor on IFS for travel in the front end is your CV. And that's definitely. why people are quote unquote long travel kits, which is kind of like a marketing term also. Uh, mm-hmm. So people need to keep that in mind, but being a, uh, uh, long travel kit really gives you the ability to get um, a wider or a longer axle in reduce CV angles and all of that, or not necessarily reduce them because you're still, now you're just adding more travel, but exactly. you're, the, the wider you go, if you went 10 inches wider and you could run a 10 inch longer CV per side, you could have gobs of travel because, um, yeah, your you don't have to stay the same, but your travel, you know, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, yeah, so that's the plan. So we're still debating on how wide do we necessarily need to go? Do we need to cut the frame rails off completely or do we just need to cut everything off the frame rails in order to make everything work? Um, we're still kind of figuring that out. I'll, I'd like to be able to keep the stock frame rails and just plate them because I don't necessarily think we need to. But we're again, we're going to have to figure that out when it comes to packaging. Uh, I don't think yeah. we're going to be in the way. So. Uh, so we're probably going to go wider. My, the goal would be to keep it as narrow as possible while still having plenty of room for the tires. So if we can do like two and a half inches wider per side. That would be awesome. We might have to go three and a half inches wider per side to fit 39 inch. To, my goal is to be able to fit 40 inch tires, but I'd like to run 39s, you know, run the like BFG KR2 in 39s for the desert right. and then have like the uh, BFG red labels the crawler red labels for right. crawling. If I can do that and if I can that's afford great. two sets of tires, that'd be great. 39s are plenty, in my opinion, for what we're doing. Well, with all the money we're making off this podcast, we should be yeah, able to... Yeah, it'll be cake. Uh, you know, I should do that in the first yeah. first month's check, right? Yep. Which uh, is on its way to your house. It may get lost in the mail, so don't count on it. Okay. I, yeah, I figured that would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Steering is another thing that we have to figure out. Um, we're trying to keep it somewhat affordable so that way we're not spending, you know, $3,000 on a steering rack. Uh, so we're thinking, right. I'm thinking, well, we are, me, him, us, we're thinking, um, like a regular steering box out of like a, you know, a bigger truck, you know, super duty, whatever. I don't know what, which one we're going to do, but then do a swing set steering. So that way it follows okay. the motion of the tie rods. Uh, yep. it's super easy parts store availability all that fun stuff is is doable so you know we're going to be spending a thousand dollars rather than three thousand dollars plus that extra stuff that goes along with a, a custom steering box you know like a fortin or whatever are gm trucks still swing set style steering even now um i don't think the newer ones are i think like the 99 to like 07 i think they were okay 
I remember right. I think that they were that I could be wrong, but I think that that's how they are. Maybe on the only the super duties, maybe not the 1500s or not super. Yeah, duties, yeah. Sorry, the, the Duramax, the HDs. I don't know for sure. Yeah. I haven't spent enough time on those to know. I've never even my dad has a 14. I've never even looked under it to see if it's a rack or what is going on underneath there. But you know, his CDs are sure, bigger than Yeah, I'm pretty sure the new ones, like the 2010 up, are all steering racks. Again, steering racks. I don't, I don't really know. I don't, I don't mess with those too much. Um, no. Yeah. Need to. So yeah, that's kind of a little bit about what the plans are on the front end. Um, obviously, putting the Ford nine-inch differential underneath there. It's going to be kind of like a, you know, quote-unquote drop bracket lift because you have to fit it somehow. But it's not going to be a drop bracket. It's going to be a full all-new bulkhead that's bolted, you know, welded to the frame. But it's not going to be a drop bracket. But again, if you think about it, yeah, we might be dropping it down three to five inches, whatever that number is. But we're going to have room for much bigger tires, much stronger suspension, and we can, you know, with that bigger, with those bigger tires, it'll give us more ground clearance, and we can run it. Because right now, you know, obviously at ride height, my CV angles are not flat with the hubs to the differential. They're not, you know, parallel to the ground. They're yeah. angled up a little bit. So maybe once we do the bigger tires in this, then we, we can bring those CV angles down a little bit, a little bit more flat and still have higher ground clearance because we're running bigger tires. So I don't know. We'll figure it out do when it comes have, to that. Either do you have any room to move the engine and transmission up in the... Uh... A little Housing. bit. I can move the I can move the engine probably at, uh, for sure an inch. Um, I maybe be able to get it up two inches if it clears the tunnel. Maybe some massaging can make that happen. I'm not really sure. Yeah, because if if you much. can move, and obviously depending on like hood, there's so much obviously that goes into moving the engine up in the mm-hmm. body. But if you can move, you, you know, if you just you know quickly go out there and move the engine up, <laughs> if you can move the engine up an inch. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, that obviously is going to give you more clearance on where you're mounting everything below it. I know exactly. that Ian moved their engine and trans up. And I'm not sure if he's, you know, stabbing it at an angle. If there's a, if he just moved the engine up, I assume he moved the trans and everything up at the same time. Yeah, you can only uh, move your trans up a little bit. Maybe it depends. Right. I don't think he has any sort of a body lift, but um, no. no body lift. You might be able to get maybe half inch to an inch. Um, your transmission. Yeah. I don't really think that there's much room to get up in there. And then uh, right. the the motor. I think, at least from where I'm sitting, because I think the bomb-proof motor mounts that I have are a little, a tiny bit shorter than stock. I could be wrong. Okay. I also I broke my perches on the stock spring perches, so I did some of the DMZ fab perches, and I had to weld them on. And okay. I may have welded those a little bit low. I'm not really sure if I did that or the bomb-proof mounts were. A little bit shorter so i don't really know right. there's no confirmation of that that which one it is makes sense but uh yeah so i think where it sits now i think i can definitely get about two inches of lift on the engine so i can tuck that in higher and then that means i'm reducing my ground clearance you know or increasing the difference in my ground clearance increasing everything so, yeah so that should no, that make a little bit and then we'll have to do some sort of you know, drive shaft, a two-piece drive shaft, which is going to kind of, that part kind of sucks because we're going to have to do a two-piece. So we're going to have to have the, um, what are they called? Carrier bearing, which those suck right. too, um, is what it is. So we'll have to do a carrier are you bearing have at to some do that? point. Oh, good. Are you going to have to do that because of angles or what's so, the, what, yeah, what's so the we have to 
so for the the transfer case the front drive shaft it doesn't have a direct shot to go straight underneath the the oil pan that's where the the pan right. is going to be straight underneath the oil pan okay. for the most part we'll do a rear sump oil pan and um you know, there's no way it's going to line up. So we have to do something to kind of get it down and off to the side, and then we can run it straight through. So it'll have to go Makes sense. underneath the trans band. So, we, yeah, there's just not a straight shot. So if we go forward and down at an angle, we might be able to have a two-piece drive shaft without any issues. So we just got to figure that out, the angles and all that stuff. But again, with everything being down a little bit lower, it'll make it a little bit easier because it's going to be, it's got to be at least two inches lower minimum. But I think it's gonna be more than that. So you know, but then I can increase the the lift on the on the engine. So again, there's a lot of different variables that we haven't figured out yet, but we're figuring out the the parts is where we're at right now. We're figuring out what parts are we gonna use before we start putting them all together. So I've been if anyone's so, seen on my Instagram page, I've been kind of putting those parts together and figuring out some different dimensions, figuring out, you know, what what I what actually we can pull off. So like a spindle height of like say sixteen to seventeen inches. Now what's a rough estimate on the frame side separation that is needed. It's mm -hmm. gonna be maybe an inch equal to an inch smaller than whatever the spindle is, I'm guessing, somewhere around there. Again, I don't have those numbers yet. But if you can estimate in that range, now move that over to the frame side, is anything in the way? Well, we we're not gonna be able to based on what I'm seeing, we're not going to be able to do J-arm because we don't have enough forward room because like the radiator and stuff is in the way. So we're not going to be able to okay. do J-arm. I think what we're going to end up having to do is to do a wide uh, wide upper A-arm so that way the shocks can fit in between. You know, two shocks, like fast coilovers. And it'll have to kind of tuck right above the frame rails. And then, yeah. Have you so, seen the Kibby Tech there on their the Jeep? Uh, will he, the race Jeep? Have you seen how they drive? run? The, yeah, it's four-wheel drive. It's it's oh. four-wheel drive capable. It's all set up. The, the front diff is usually in it. Depending on what class they're in, they'll stub it and pull the front drive shaft out of it. Um, really? Go, I'll send you the link on Hoonigan's YouTube page. They did a build biology, build breakdown on it, and went over a bunch of stuff. Uh, and it was, it was really cool. But they actually run, I assume you've seen these, but they're the lower eyelet for the shock where it mounts is I can't remember how they call it, but it's basically, it looks like a fucking big ass fork and they actually oh, run the clevis? CV through the center. Yeah. Cl yeah. Clevis essentially. They basically run the CV through the center of the, of the split in that coil over or the lower mounting eyelet, which is wow, kind of cool because they kind of dealt with the same thing, like more like how much room they could get and stuff in there and, Helps keep out, the CD on center. But I was thinking of just do it in between the shocks. But again, if there's a better way, right. then I'm more than happy to look into a better way. So yeah, another thing yeah, too I is guess. like the uh like the Marlin rock crawler long travel, how they have all that clearance. Plan right. is to do something very similar to that with ours, so that way we have higher clearance. So we don't have these big arms hanging down, being rock crawlers and stuff. So they definitely, oh. in my opinion. They took what the Ultra 4 guys are doing and they put it into, again, a consumer level uh, yeah. product that is, For sure. in my opinion, kind of revolutionary because we haven't seen that because the long travel has always been pre-runners. For the longest time, it's yeah. always been a pre-runner type thing, not necessarily a rock crawling thing. There's sure there's been people that do both, but um, right. you know we haven't seen long travel dedicated towards rock crawling where high clearances in, in mind, um, you know, 
that's kind of the biggest thing difference is the higher clearance. So, you know, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. So we're going to definitely take that idea and make it our own. Fuck yeah. One thing, one thing that I, uh, that I don't know if a lot of people don't realize the stuff that you're doing right now is research and development and trial and error all at the same Mm -hmm. time. So it's not like one, it's something that people haven't done before. Uh, uh-huh. and you know, it's getting all the CAD soft or not software, but files and everything on what you're looking for takes time. Like I know people that have collected parts for sawed axle swaps for like two years and then did it all at once. What do you think that your realistic timeline goal is to <clears throat> so collect mine, all this data? And- mine is within the year, within 12 months is my goal. Caleb is much sooner than that so we're trying to figure out because he is actually doing an ls swap here in the next i think december 1st he said his rig's going under the knife and going for an ls swap so what the plan is is design it to be able to do both um however we can make it work my long long long-term goal is to do the same thing an ls swap because if i'm gonna have these big tires and all the suspension i need to be able to move these big tires and suspension stay on top of the whoops and all that stuff. So eventually I'm going to need more power. So we're going to design it around his setup. Um, We might have to, you know, work on his first and get it all, use his as the test dummy and do his and figure out what we learned from there and then apply it to mine. I'm not really sure exactly what, how we're going to go logistically, but um, you know, he wants to move forward sooner than later. So right now we're really figuring out, all the all the pieces because there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle and yeah this is just figuring out what parts are we going to use now and then the next part is okay now how are we going to put them all together and figure out packaging and geometry and make sure it all works properly so that's a a whole another endeavor so it's it's not geometry on a sawed axle is like okay like obviously there's certain it, it's, yeah, it's, it's been already figured out. information right yeah figuring out suspension geometry on ifs because yeah i mean i'm not even going to try to go into because we're going to spend another hour but suspension geometry on ifs there's a lot more that goes into it than mounting there's legs. more dimensions yeah, yeah there's another you know you have just in anti-dive alone you have two different factors that control anti-dive you have your uh, brake controlled, brake induced anti dive, and then you have your you know inertia induced anti dive. So yep. you have that all once, and then you look at things from a different angle, and it just, and then you have steering that gets involved in pl- mm-hmm. and plunge. So it's not like camber. you can just slap things together and hope for the best. Yeah, ca- camber curve, camber um, curve, you know, casting progression. That's a, exactly there's so much involved and then your camber curve as well when you get body roll how does that affect things too because you don't necessarily want it's hard to avoid it on ifs but you know when you lean you don't want your camber to change the wrong direction because then you're just going to roll a bead or you know jack or whatever your issues are but there's so much more involved so it's not like you can sure you could slap things together but you might have bump steer you might have axle plunge and you're going to end up wearing things prematurely, having super shitty uh, suspension geometry, which makes you drive like shit in the desert. So there's definitely a lot of variables. And then when you add four-wheel drive involved, you know, with the plunge and all that stuff, that makes and things there, even more difficult. 
there is guys with th- third gens that have designed their own long travel kits um mm-hmm. that many have been yeah, many of them. there's one that i can think of that's been subpar and has broken uh <laughs> <laughs> anyway uh, props them for doing it though that's yeah, that's my true. biggest thing is it at least he's out there doing it and that's the thing that i can really appreciate right. and especially the fact that he's young that is even yep. more impressive during right. high school i think everyone knows who we're talking about if they are involved in third gen forerunners at all yep. um i say props to him sure it might not be the best thing at this point but learning I, I, what the fuck did i know at 17 years old i barely knew what long travel was um, <laughs> designing shit yeah I, I didn't know how to weld i didn't know any of this shit so the fact that he's 10 years younger than i am and doing the shit that just in my opinion speaks a lot so props True. Very true. Um, the only thing that I wanted to touch on real quick, since we're already over an hour and I know you have an actual job to get back to. Um, <laughs> Not going into the last sentence of the last podcast. Correct. Get a real job. Yes. You act like you have uh, a real job. That's what it was. Again, with all of the podcast and Instagram money that we are getting currently, I'm going to quit my job. Mm-hmm. So uh, the my for. Third gens have a way better, uh, I mean, the whole rack setup is way better, but the bushing setup is even better. I don't know if you know, I assume you know what the, the bushing FJ, setup? On what bushing? Yeah. The steering the bushing's rack. Bushing's on the steering rack? Yeah. Uh, I don't think they're any better because, I mean, we I, I ripped mine out of the frame. I don't okay. think they're any better, the system. Yeah. It makes sense. But on the FJs, at least, it's so bad. I go through bushings pretty rapidly so i'm thinking i just ordered a set of poly bushings so i don't have to take my mm-hmm. rack out to measure stuff and i think i'm going to make solid aluminum bushings for it but obviously the fear comes into it like you know what about what about delrin that something that that's has a little a, bit of give but it's not that's solid. an option too sounds like a better option and your machinist like that should that. be pretty easy to do either oh, of yeah. those options yeah. So I would suggest Delrin. So it has a little bit of give, but it does not, you know, rigid. Right. And I like that idea. Rigid. I didn't even think a, that was my exact question. Is aluminum going to be too much? I mean, obviously aluminum steel, you're going to, in that application, it's going to be almost the same. But Delrin's a really good yeah, idea. Well, the, and the problem with like aluminum, because your rack is what? Aluminum housing as well? Yeah, cast aluminum, yeah. So when you have aluminum against aluminum, and then you get every, you know, all that friction and pressure and stuff, then it starts getting all funky, right? I mean, I'm yeah. not, I'm not some an expert in this, but I've always felt like if you have two pieces that are not perfect fit and like retained very well, right, then you're gonna have you know this metal on metal friction, which is gonna cause like all kinds of weird like I don't know, just and issues. Any like same metal, yeah, any same metal friction is not good either so like for the most part like that's why you see like bearing like obviously different materials for different like wares and stuff like that but like Mm. two pieces of steel together are gonna wear different than like a piece of steel and like a bearing material like maybe like an like a brass or a bronze or something because Mm. you know you're gonna get like galling more galling and stuff like that if you have like a hard on hard surface or a soft on soft surface Exactly. That's, that's why you, a good word for galling. Yeah. So that's, I didn't think of Delrin. I actually really like that idea. That was like going to be my main question. 
obviously, yeah, you're going to run it even with Delrin. You might, you're stiffening everything up, so you're going to have less rack shift and stuff like that. So on hard hits to the tie rod, you'd have less rack movement. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so that could be an issue on tie rods and stuff like that. But I mean, I just put this rack in like four months ago and it has factory bushings in it. They're not poly bushings, but the factory bushings are mm-hmm. already smoked in it. And then the poly bushings I had before that lasted like six months. So it's like, wow. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard, uh, I had poly bushings in my last rack and, um, I don't remember if I did the, cause there's that, that D ring, the D clamp that yep. goes over it, uh, on ours. I don't know if right. it has the same one, but it's not, but I've heard a lot of people, they, that, that bushing in poly just gets shredded. And I want to say I did not use the poly one. I don't remember. So makes sense. obviously I didn't have that big of an issue. So my biggest, so my plan right now is issues. to, uh, get, I'm going to get the poly bushings. I'm just, I'm literally just getting them so I can take dimensions off of them. I bought the cheapest set that I could find. Uh, I'm just going to take dimensions off of those. And then uh, I will probably order up a stick of Delrin and then make those out of Delrin and then kind of see what I get off of that. I mean, it can't be once I have those. You can even rob the the sleeves. I'm sure the the poly ones come with sleeves. You can even rob the sleeves, the metal sleeves from that and put it in the Delrin. Exactly. That way, obviously, you're you're not running straight on the bolt surface or whatever, you know, open up that contact surface. So less chance of cracking the Delrin and stuff like that. Yeah. Sounds like a good plan. Fuck yeah, man. All right. That sounds good. So do we have any, um, any future updates on the podcast that we want to give to people or are we just going to tell them to fuck off and wait? Um, yeah, we can give some updates since we've kind of been leaving everyone in the dark and kind of what's going on. Uh, right now we have a couple I mean, we have several really good future guests planned. The next one... Yeah, we have like five that are kind of verbally lined up, not necessarily put in pencil right. dates, but there's a couple that are so really... We talked to... We'll just let it out of the bag. Let it out of the bag. We talked to Wheel Every Weekend. Ian and Brittany are talking about coming on. That is really hoping to be... Um, I think this week's episode? Or I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, what do we what, I think we're supposed to record it this week, right? Yeah, Thursday hopefully, Friday. Hopefully record it this week. And then we also uh I'm Keith is um coming on. He's in the books. He's in the books. Uh I actually talked to Shannon Campbell. I don't if you guys don't know who Shannon Campbell is, um and you do anything you fucking do some research. Do some research. Just <laughs> type in Shannon Campbell on Google. And I'm sure it will bring up his rig, um, which will be really cool. It will Lots be of cool stuff. Um, that that I'm not exactly sure what direction that one will would go or will go, but that will be a cool episode, regardless. And then uh, absolutely, Jason from Opt Off Road, uh, Kyle is going to come on after we after you guys do all of his stuff, so we can kind of talk about his whole setup and everything and what he did to more length the rear of the Tacoma and once that's all done. So he kind of has a better idea of what happened with it and uh, what he hated about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, and then yeah, we're, and then, um, we'd like to get the guys from uh, Sherpa equipment. Yes. Uh, Will and, and Alex. So yep. 
get those guys on at some point. They're building an Ultra 4, not Ultra 4, I guess. I mean, is that considered Ultra 4, that, that class, the 4,600 class? I mean, I don't you know could consider it Ultra 4 if you want to. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's still considered the same class or not. But uh, I don't know if that's a separate class. But either way, we'd like to get them on at some point. Um, and there's a few other people that are just, you know, wheelers for the most part that we'd like to get on. Right. So we're going to try to keep it mixed up between talking about ourselves and our trips and our plans. That way you guys get a little bit more info about us and what we're looking to do and all that fun stuff. But then also have some people that are you know business owners, you know, especially the small ones give their insights on products and, you know, how they got into it and what they know and, you know, really cool stuff about that. Get to know them and then wheelers, you know, they're what they've done, what they know how to do, what they, you know, fabricators, stuff like that. That way we have a little bit of a mix. So that's in our future plans. Yep. And we're still using for the last uh, episode three, 3.2 and 3.3. We've been using the uh, <laughs> same recording software. I've heard great things about it so far. Keep in mind that when the guests come on, their audio is not going to be most likely as good as our audio. Um, so that's just one thing. Unless they have. Yeah. Like I'm just, I use earpods or AirPods. Right. Is that what they call AirPods. Yeah. Something like that. So I use AirPods. So that's good enough. And as long as you have headphones, so if anyone is planning to be a guest and listening, oh. just decent headset is fine. I've wor- I use my Bluetooth work one as well. So any of them work just decent audio is fine it work yep just do it exactly yeah. so, so that's that yeah and so far we've got really good luck on the uh this recording software so it does t- it's a little bit more work on our end um before and after the podcast and all but, that, well worth it. but significantly better audio um so i think that's pretty much it man yep I think that's it, and that means I'm going to go get lunch. Should we start an Instagram for this soon? Um, I don't want to manage it. I don't either. Do, then yeah, that's nope, it. I don't want to do it. <laughs> I already did the IFS off-road mm-hmm. one, and that's work for me. And I'm not yeah. a big fan of extra work when it comes to social media. So yeah. I've been until at- you want to do it, no. then it's not going to happen. Yeah. So for now, if you have, I think any- it'd be cool to have. I just don't want to do it. Yeah, we'll think about it in the future. We'll see how this thing goes. Uh. Right now, we're actually having, you know, really good reception. I think we're close to a thousand total downloads um, across uh, cool. uh, all the platforms, all, platforms. With all the episodes and everything like that, uh, which is pretty cool since we've only been doing this for five weeks now uh, that we're already getting that much reception. And we're just, yeah, it's two numb nuts on an audio recording device. Yep. So as long as everyone keeps listening and talking shit to us online, we will continue to do this. If you have questions, concerns, recommendations, you want to come on the podcast, suggestions, suggestions, whatever, any of that. um, If you liked it, um, you can hit me up at Team Groverland. If you did not like it, Stephen takes all the complaints at Aspirins on Instagram. Um, And then there is also a... uh, thread on ifsoffroad.com the best our only best and only it's kind of like being the best child when you're an only child uh off-road forum correct I can see uh ifsoffroad.com there's a thread on there for the podcast go ahead well it's not the only forum though it's, it's just the best we're called because how is it it's not the only forum. it's the only it's forum that i find yeah. myself with steven i don't okay I, yeah, yeah. 
that's true. I mean, I guess there's like the only one that's dedicated towards IFS and uh, doesn't really have a bunch of pussyfoot and rules. <laughs> so if you want to come on and talk shit and say a bunch of stupid shit and call mods the fag, and we'll call the admins or mods because we don't really have any mods, you know, call them fags, then you can do that. We're just going to, if you report something, we're going to screenshot it and repost it. So that way everyone knows that you're a douche and you re- and you report things. So now that's the only form you can really do. I think the only way you can maybe pirate maybe from the uh, forum is if you consistently report stuff enough for it annoys the shit out of Steve. So he has to remove you. Yeah. So like our rules are now rule number one, don't be a douchebag. Every rule after that says refer to rule number one, but like rules are don't spam, don't do threats, uh, don't do anything really illegal because we don't want the feds coming after us and we don't like the government and we don't want them any more attention than we need. Mm-hmm. So that's for the most part it. Easy enough. But yeah, go on, talk shit, have fun, read, post stuff, technical information, questions, whatever. So I think that wraps it up though. Okay. Yeah. We keep rambling. All right. The last two episodes I've just... All right, peace out, motherfuckers. All right, so I'm just going to keep doing that, so... All right.